There is power in the written word. Words can cut like swords, heal like salve, preserve like stone. But as a writing professor for many years and a writer myself, I know how writing is hard, even for those who do it well. This is Christian Curious, and I'm your host, Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I'm discussing the writing process with Dr. Doug Grotice. Dr. Doug Grotice has recently published a new edition of his classic work, Christian Apologetics, first published in 2011. He is an apologist and an author of several books, including the upcoming Fire in the Streets. He is a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary, and he was a campus pastor for 12 years prior to obtaining a position as associate professor of philosophy of religion and ethics at Denver Seminary. In addition to hundreds of articles and papers, he has recently published his 14th book. Dr. Grotice, welcome to Christian Curious. Thank you. Happy to be here. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. Normally, I compose the questions, but before we did this show, I mean, um, you have come out with so many books recently, so many different articles, so many different papers, and I wanted to you know, pick your brain about the writing process, because I believe that there are a lot of people that, that know there's value in writing, but don't actually know how to accomplish it. And so I would, I want to pick your brain about your writing process. And instead of me coming up with questions, I do have some questions, Mm -hmm. but, um, we asked, you know, you asked your followers on uh, Facebook about what their questions were. Right. And so we're going to tackle some of those today. Mm-hmm. So the first one is, there were questions about how you write. So do you write every day? Pretty much. I feel sort of empty and meaningless <laughs> if I don't write at least something every day, because I'm always thinking about issues I'm reflecting on my studies, my teaching, my preaching over many years. So I basically never stop thinking. And I think in terms of how I would write something. Right. So in fact, this morning, I couldn't open my computer. I thought, uh-oh, let's get on this as soon as possible. So I'm, I'm bringing it into where I work after we're done recording this. But I don't like that feeling because I like to be able to write some ideas, write a paragraph, keep working on a book, an essay, a review, as much as possible. So I do. Sometimes I write more than others, but every day I write, I say at least a few hundred words, sometimes way more than that. Yeah. So how do you discipline yourself? I mean, do you discipline yourself to write? So some per, one person asked, is there a cer- certain number of words you strive for, mm-hmm. or do you just let inspiration move you? Well, I think it's both because if I'm writing a book, I might have a limit of 60,000 words, for example. That was the limit I was given for Fire in the Streets by Salem Books. And I was so motivated to write that book, I wrote 100,000 words in hopes that they would lengthen the book. So I sent them the 100,000 words, and they got back to me, and they said, it's all very good, but we need you to get it down to 60,000. Wow. So I got it down to 60,000 in 24 hours. I knew exactly what to cut. And they said, okay, you can get another 5,000 back. So it's like a negotiating situation. 
But I was able to publish in other places most of what I cut out. So I was really on a tear with Fire in the Streets. I've never written a book so quickly with so much passion. How long did it take you? About four months. Four months. That's amazing. Yeah, I was kind of amazed at myself. Uh, The last weekend before the deadline, I worked 14 hours on Saturday and six hours on Sunday. My wife would come down and peek at me. My dog, too. Are you okay down there? But you know this idea of the flow state that psychologists talk about? I just got into a flow state with the book. It was amazing. Yeah. But that's not always true. Uh, Some things take a lot more time and come more slowly. But I'm finding now, I'm 65, that almost everything I write about comes to me fairly quickly. But that wouldn't have been true 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. And why do you think that is? I think it's experience. And because I have the basic skills or the basic abilities down. So at this point, I don't want to sound cocky by saying that. But right now, I don't make outlines before I write. I just sit down and write. I have the outline pretty much in my mind. I might make a few notes on my document, but pretty much it's there when I sit down to write it. And I don't struggle too much at how I'm going to put things that comes to me very quickly. Of course, I revise. And I need to say that my skills as a writer were honed and made uh, much better by my first wife, Rebecca Merrill Grothuis, who was a writer and editor herself, and she passed away four years ago. She wrote two books, many articles, and she edited all my books through the first edition of Christian Apologetics, and after that, the dementia kicked in, and she was not able to edit anymore. So when I'm sitting and writing, I often kind of concentrate, and I think, now, how would Becky have made this sentence better? Yeah. So I'm not trying to channel her. I'm not into the occult, but I just think all those years of her editing me, how would she have made this a better sentence or made this a better paragraph? Yeah. So I really want to salute her. And I miss her in so many ways, although I'm very happily remarried. But I do miss Becky, the editor, because I would go with 98% of her suggestions. Occasionally, I would disagree, but almost never. Yeah. 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 She was a fantastic writer. I have read her work. She was. Um, Another question someone asked is, do you listen to music or does that distract you? And if you do listen to music, what is it and why? No, I don't listen to music while I'm writing. I will sometimes listen to music when I'm reading and studying. And I usually listen to jazz and I find that I can't read if the music has words. Yeah. I, I can't it, because I'm reading words and I'm hearing words and there's a conflict and I can't give proper attention to the words that I'm reading. But I always write with as much silence as I can. Uh, so I did a lot of writing. I've done a lot of writing in the summers in Alaska. I do that up in the loft and my wife might be listening to something down below. So there's no wall between us. I really need to have silence. So I'll put on my headphones and just put on white noise, you know, find a white noise program so I can put my psychic energy, so to speak, my psychological energy really into the writing without distractions. So some people love to go to Starbucks or go to a tea shop or something and get out their computer and write. And I think, what world do you live in? 
me. Right. You're, just, you're just different than I am. Yeah, I can't do that at all. Yeah, some people can, and that's fine. You know, what people often say about writing is find what works for you. And I don't want to be a total relativist. I think authors, first of all, need to ask, what should I write? What needs to be said? And am I skilled enough? And do I have the knowledge to bring it, bring it about? Because a lot of things that are written and published should not be. They're just fluff or they're wrong or they're stupid. <laughs> so really, I've read a lot of stupid things over the years. So the first question I think a writer needs to ask is, do I have something true and rational and significant to say to the world? Right. I think that's essentially it. It's not... I need to express myself. No. Unless it's a personal journal. That's fine. But if you're going to hurl something into the world with your name on it, then I think you need to back it up with facts and logic and a decent style, a decent way of writing. You know, and that demands a certain quality of character. And I think it even demands um, a certain experience of... um, support and encouragement mm-hmm. right. um, because I know that there are writers out there, you know, and I have mentioned this to you as, as far as, you know, especially as a female Christian writer, it can be very hard to um, sit and have the confidence to express what you feel to be true because you know that people are going to come after you hard and they'll come hard mm-hmm. after you harder because you are a female Christian writer. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder sometimes about the confidence factor of being able to produce so much work. Can You know, our confidence level can hinder our right. creativity. Sure. Well, I think to be a good writer requires both humility and courage. Because the humility is, uh, I need to know what I'm writing about and I should not overestimate myself. So I need to learn from others, be humble in order to write anything worthwhile. And then also you need the courage to present it to the world because you get published in a magazine, a book, a journal, online, anywhere, then you are offering your ideas to the world to either ignore, which is the worst, ignore or to be appreciated or to be attacked. And having written now, I think this is my 15th book, I've had a lot of people misinterpret what I've written, attack a straw man, right. and so on. And my first wife, Rebecca Merrill Grotheis, wrote on a very controversial issue, which is uh, the role of women in the church and the home. And a lot of the people that criticized her didn't even understand her arguments. Right. And she was very patient. She would go back and read their criticisms and respond to them very carefully. And she never let a criticism go uh, unheeded. She was very meticulous about that. But she got unfair criticisms. You know, she got the, well, you're not a biblical scholar criticism, which is just ad hominem. Uh, Deal with her arguments. So you have to have a thick skin to some extent, and be real, you know, be willing to realize that critics are sometimes right. So if they're right, admit it, uh, change it in the second edition of the book, or don't teach that anymore, or something like that. So I it is. Th- I think that's yeah. a really important point: is yeah. to sometimes critics are right. Exactly. 
and to just humbly accept that. Mm -hmm. That can be that can be a huge lesson to learn. You know, when everybody thinks mm -hmm. my truth is my truth and your oh, truth yeah. is your truth, so don't critique me. Um, maybe sometimes the critique is fair. Um, right. One of the things I'm interested in how do you how do you stay in your chair? I I know I messaged you about this, but I was when I was writing um, my book. Um, this winter, I would look out my cabin. I go to this cabin to write mm. and I saw this mountain and I would look at that mountain and it would be so beautiful. And I would say, gosh, I want to be climbing that mountain and not sitting here writing this book. And so I recently revisited my cabin, um, just as a personal retreat. Mm -hmm. And I went to the front desk to ask where the trailhead was. And she said, that's Deer Creek Mountain. And I said, I've already climbed that mountain. And I was just mm -hmm. struck but because I was tormented all winter long by a mountain I've already climbed. <laughs> and it's quite a lesson in that. And so I, I don't want to stay in my chair, I mean, all the time. How do you stay in your chair? Well, I love books. And I write in my basement. And I have a particular room that I write in. And that's my happy place, basically. I'm surrounded by books. My dog, Sonny, is there. I can always escape, go upstairs and spend time with my wife and so on. And I don't only write. I have a social life, and I love to ride my bicycle and go to jazz concerts. Uh, but so far, with this you know, cranky 65-year-old body, I can still sit and write for long periods of time. Yeah. Now, getting up is another thing. But uh, sitting and writing, and I just get... Uh, immersed in the ideas and the ideas kind of carry me along. At Denver Seminary, our online, on-campus, and hybrid graduate education programs prepare men and women to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Our mission will equip you for any ministry calling. To learn more about our degree programs, certificate opportunities, and classes, visit denverseminary.edu. So where do your ideas come from? That's a pretty deep philosophical question. It is. <laughs> well, ultimately, all the true and good ideas come from God because every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning, James 1. But they come out of my life of reading and studying and teaching and preaching and previous writing. I have had a very blessed life in many ways. I've had a lot of suffering. But one way that has been blessed is I've had a lot of time for leisure. Yeah. And by leisure, I mean time when I don't have to be involved in physical work or organizing a lot of activities, things I'm horrible at anyway. Right. God's given me a lot of time. I didn't have to work my way through college. My mother paid for it. I've always had jobs as things like a campus minister, a professor, where what you do is study and teach and write. That's what you do for a job. So sometimes people say, what do you read for pleasure? And I think, what did you just say? I don't have that concept. You know, I read what I find interesting. Now, I have to read books that I terribly disagree with that make me angry and sometimes I throw across the room although I've mellowed out over the years a little bit with that 
So I read books I don't like that can even be sort of painful to read, but then I right. try to refute them. So that's where I get the enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Point by point, taking them down. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, someone asked if you outlined before writing and you said that you basically have it in your head and mm-hmm. at where you're going to go mm-hmm. because you've already, you know, thought extensively right. about the argument and all of the arguments before. Um, but I didn't start out that way. I think about my first book, Unmasking the New Age, which came out in 1986. And interestingly, that's been my best-selling book over all these years. But I had a very long, detailed outline that I presented to InterVarsity Press. Of course, if you do a book proposal, you need to have an outline. But at that stage, I was in my late 20s, I needed to have outlines. At this stage, I almost never do. I mean, I can even write a book proposal uh, within half an hour or an hour if it's been something that I've been teaching about and writing about, thinking about, praying about for years and years. A lot of it at this point in my life as a writer crystallizes quickly. Yeah. But I'm 65, and I think the first thing I was ever um, published in was my junior high school newspaper called um, The Huskies Howl. I was in Anchorage, (laughs) Alaska. The Huskies Howl. The Huskies Howl, and it was album reviews because I've always loved music and writing about music and art and so on. So I like that. Hey, this whole page is me. This whole page is for album reviews in the Huskies Howl. So I got very interested in journalism. And then I also was uh, part of the high school newspaper, which is called the Eagles Cry. And uh, the last year I was the editorial page editor. And I thought I was a hot shot. I thought I was such a good writer and so smart. Then I went to college and took a composition class and got a C on my first paper. Oh. And the professor said, you have some interesting ideas, but you don't express them very well. Oh, goodness. Oh, my. And I was humble enough to realize, although I wasn't a Christian at that point, that she was right. She yeah. was right. So I worked very hard to become a good writer in college. Yeah. And that's an important part. And- important thing to note is that you know you can become a good writer it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean you're you're a writer or you're not i mean um mm-hmm. you know you can practice to become a great writer and um one of the things that people asked that i think is really interesting and that i have also found hard when, I, when I've taught students and also in my own writing is when I'm think about presenting um, an opinion, an opposing opinion that I'm about to take down, um, how do you know when you've done enough studying to know what it's about, to be able mm-hmm. to represent it fairly? So, you know, for example, in your recent book, Fire in the Streets, you take on critical race theory. How do you know when you're done? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what painters ask quite a bit with paintings. Uh, when do I stop painting? And in writing, when do you stop writing? When have you discharged your intellectual and literary obligations? And I don't have a simple answer to that. I think you develop a sense for that, a feel for that over time. You can write too quickly and you don't take opposing views seriously enough. Or, and I've seen this with a lot of people, 
you never let it go because there's always another book to read or there's always another article to read. And maybe a story will help with this. My first book, which became Unmasking the New Age, I had a different title in mind at first. I kept researching that book and studying it and going to New Age events and all these things. And I met uh, Becky when we were both working in campus ministry. And she said, Doug, you know more about this subject than anyone in the country, I'm sure. And if you start writing the book, I'll edit it for you. See, so she gave me that kick that I needed. Like, stop studying, start writing. There's an old line, always reading, never read. <laughs> so uh, Great. Yeah, but it's true. You read some books and you think the arguments are not adequate. It's not researched properly. Uh, you read other books where you think uh, they're just moving too slowly. So I think it's a skill you develop over time, and you need other people to help you. You do. You know, I needed Becky to say, hey, start writing this book now, and I'll help you. And that was the beginning of my book writing ministry. And oddly, that first book, Unmasking the New Age, uh, has been my best-selling book over the years. Sold over 160,000 copies. That's of amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. That's really cool. Now it sells three or four copies a year. But anyway, <laughs> back in the day, it, it had a good impact, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I like the concept of leisure. Um because I think that so many people pack their schedules so 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 tightly that they crowd out creativity. Mm-hmm. Creativity takes time, it takes leisure, it takes play. And there's been a lot of research lately on the idea of play and its ability to help us with, you know, our daily problems and mm-hmm. help us with our writing as well. And so I like that, that you do incorporate leisure into your writing mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leisure in two senses. One, that I'm able to do what I enjoy doing and what I think is meaningful and helpful to other people a lot of the time. So it's not that I have all kinds of other obligations that take away from my research and writing and teaching. I typically don't. I'm so blessed. But I do find also that when I'm uh, doing something besides studying and writing and teaching, like going for a long bike ride, that ideas come to me. I'm, I'm just always thinking. I'm driving around in the car doing an errand. I'll think, oh, yeah, there's this idea and that idea, and I should write that out. I should write an essay on that. Uh, so... My wife, Kathleen, says, you just, you just live in your head. And I say, where else can I live? <laughs> I can't help it at this point. Right. That's very similar to my dad saying, you ask too many questions. Right. Because yeah. I'm constantly in my head. Or my husband saying, you know, he, he knows now after 21 years of marriage that he has to call my name about three or four times before I hear him. Right. Because I'm thinking about something. Right. I mean, I'm trying to analyze something, mm-hmm. you know, pick something apart. Yeah. Well, my uh, wife, Kathleen, and I, if I can just interject this, uh, are recently married. We've been married about three and a half years. And uh, she's still trying to get used to me. And she said, Doug, what's wrong? I said, nothing. I always look like this. <laughs> I'm always kind of serious. I'm laughing right now with you, but just thinking about yeah. things. Uh, books I'm reading, books I need to read books I need to write. But for someone who's trying to get started in writing, you need dedicated time 
to do nothing but write. Right. And don't wait for the inspiration. Uh, writing, I think, is more, as they say, perspiration than inspiration. But if the inspiration comes, then by all means, write it down. But a lot of writing is simply the discipline of saying, okay, I've got some time. Now I'm going to work on a topic and let's see what happens. Yeah. It's not like raking leaves in the yard. If you have a decent back, which I don't, so don't ask me to do this, you'll say, okay, it'll take about half an hour. Hmm. But if you say I have a thousand word article to write, you don't really know how long that will take. You know, Uh, if you say, well, I need to mow the lawn, it might take a half an hour. But if you write a chapter in a book, who knows? how long that will take. There's no direct computation for how long it will take to write something because it's a creative process. So you need to carve out time, develop your skills. One piece of advice I give everyone is read good writers, read C.S. Lewis, read J.I. Packer, read classic literature and emulate what you see in my favorite little book on style is one I've taught from for 30 years. It's called Elements of Style by Strunk and White. Yep. That is a classic. I don't think you can do much better than that book in terms of style. I think I have that book several times mm-hmm. in my bookshelves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, your time, your writing has been described multiple times as fearless writing. Um, what would be your advice to writers mm-hmm. to write fearlessly? Um, And that may look different for different people. I mean, because, you know, different people face different obstacles. So what would be your advice Mm -hmm. to write fearlessly? Pursue truth, needful truth. I go by the motto that I got from the great uh, cult apologist Walter Martin years ago. He said, controversy for the sake of controversy is sin. Controversy for the sake of truth or the gospel is a divine command. So over the years, I really tried to defend the Christian worldview and defend the ideas I think are most significant. And I've never tried to pick a fight. I don't like arguing, actually. It's kind of funny. A philosopher doesn't like arguing. But if I need to make a rational case for something I take to be significant, then I'll do it. But I've never sought out controversy for the sake of controversy. I think that's a waste of time. So find uh, your passions with respect to truth and meaning and pursue those according to the abilities that God has given you. And be open to criticism. Right. And every good writer needs a good editor, too. And I was so blessed with Becky uh, editing all my work up until 2010. And I've taken those lessons with me. Yeah. Well, Dr. Grotes, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing, sharing with us about mm. you know how you write. You're welcome. It's been fun to talk about it. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and find out more about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious. Stay curious.